Hello and welcome to Insatiable Appetite. Uh, I'm Helen Lundell and I'm here with my colleague Sarah Marion. Hello. And we are here to talk about the study that we currently have in the works, which is food and technology from plant-based to lab-grown. And we wanted to spend a few minutes talking about it with you today to give you a sense of why we did the study and why we are so excited about it. Just as we have our data coming in, we're really feeling like it's it's about to all come together. Why we are so excited about what's going to be coming out of this. So right. Sarah, why did why did we even do this study? <laughs> well, if you have not heard about um, these cool, innovative foods like the Impossible Burger or Beyond Meat, um, there's even plant-based cheese now that does all kinds of things. You've really been living under a rock. This is a lot of different types of products. There's a lot of consumers interested in them. Um, it's a growing part of the market. And we hear, even among those who might not consume these products yet, a lot of aspirations about uh, wanting to reduce meat and dairy consumption, wanting to eat more plant-based. This is kind of uh, what's going on out there in the world. So we thought it was time to dig into this phenomenon a little bit more. Look at these consumers. Who buys these things? What are they? Why are they buying them? Um, and, you know, from our perspective, there's a lot of different reasons out there from health to sustainability to kind of the ethical conundrums around um, eating animal products. Well, and even right, the like just the idea of eating something different. People today just right. like having variety in their diet. Yeah. And I think that's something that gets forgotten a lot because we, you know, the focus is always on um, trying to reduce the impact on of the uh, meat industry on mm -hmm. the environment and things like that. But often people are just kind of like hey, this looks cool, it changes it up, I'm bored of what I'm eating for dinner, yep. and this is something different. Yeah, new alternatives. But we don't know yet how how those um, factors interplay with each other, which are the most important. And no, we don't. And um, one of the other interesting little uh, topics we, were we wanted to explore with this study is it feels like to us, um, from our vantage point, there's a real tension here between uh, this desire for these new products, most of which come in packages in the frozen section. Many are refrigerated, but even so, uh, many have long ingredient lists. And yet we hear consumers say all the time that they want to eat more natural, close-to-the-earth foods. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, something that consumers sometimes refer to is, um, you know, Michael Pollan famously said, mm -hmm. the way to eat is to eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And seems so this simple. all this seems simple. This all sounds great. But when you dig deeper into his 64 food rules, <laughs> there are actually quite a few, <laughs> um, you find other things that say things like avoid food products that have more than five ingredients and avoid food products containing ingredients that a third grader, third grader cannot pronounce. And, you know, a lot of the products that we see out there have extremely long ingredient lists and things like even some of the more kind of modern brands are using things like pea protein isolate, which is certainly something that you wouldn't find in your own kitchen. And so this is both a really in interesting question from like an anthropological perspective, mm -hmm. but also from a market perspective. You know, all the things that you hear about food and how you should talk to consumers about it, say you should talk up natural, you should talk about fewer ingredients. And yet at the same time, consumers seem to be accepting or at least growingly accepting mm -hmm. of these sorts of products. And so we really wanted to figure out what's going on there and what implications that has both in this category and for um, how consumers are thinking about technology and how food is produced more generally. There might be lessons to be learned here about other technological innovations for the future. Right. And so 
And so this this tension is central. It's really interesting. And, uh, you know, thinking about it from a kind of larger, I guess, philosophical sense, we, uh, Helen and I have been batting around all these ideas uh, of kind of the the large cultural stories and myths at work here. Because the logical extension of a lot of these meat and dairy alternatives is um, are some of the really cool innovative products that you hear about in the trade press now, but aren't quite ready for consumers yet, like cellular agriculture, lab-grown meat, um, the new Aqua Advantage salmon. Uh, these seem to meet a lot of the needs that consumers claim to have that they're moving to plant-based alternatives for, such as sustainability um, <clears throat> in particular, such as eating, you know, eating animal products without some of the guilt attached. And yet they, these products certainly came from a lab, mm-hmm. which is, you know, verbatim what many consumers tell us they, they do Don't not want. want. <laughs> <clears throat> So what is the tipping point? At what point, if ever, do these products become acceptable? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it about how you talk about them? Is it, right. It's not just, it's not the inherent properties of the product, but how you tell the story about it and what your motivations are. There are so many right. contextual factors that could go into whether or not a product is something that consumers are going to be willing to try, and then also whether or not it's going to be something that can fit into their diet. It could be something they love, but it's not convenient enough. Right, right. And then these also hook into, uh, you know, stories we've long told ourselves about playing God. Are we playing God when we grow meat in a lab? Uh, Are we even allowed to do that as humans? How far is too far? When does this turn into like a Jurassic Park scenario (laughs) where just because you can doesn't mean you should? (laughs) Maybe should maybe we should, should we? And but then how do we talk about it? Right. So these are all the things that, well, all, and there is more in the report, but these are all the things that we've been really having fun exploring and that we're going to be diving into both with data, both with quantitative data and qualitative data in the report. And um, it's going to be fascinating. We're just, we're just super excited to learn about what's, what's going on and what, you know, there are so many reasons people have avoided meat or changed how they want to eat throughout history. And we want to know what's going on in culture today mm-hmm. and what that means for the um, for the potential of these products in the future. Like, is this tension that we've talked about between being lab grown and wanting things that food that is more natural, something that will ultimately result in the current explosion we're seeing plateauing or even falling away are these really just gateway products Mm -hmm. into a more holistic plant-based eating where ultimately people will realize that you know having um having meat and two veg is not what they need and they can they can there are also all sorts of other different ways of eating or is this going to be where people end up people want plant-based this is going to be the solution and they're going to be good to go right and so you know understanding how the future is going to work is about really unpacking all the underlying cultural mm-hmm. threads and use that to inform your idea of whether this is going to be a fad or whether it's going to be a long-term trend right and i love that thought about how you know not eating meat means different things in different times and places i remember when i was growing up being a vegan was still really a, like you were a curiosity and it was associated with this kind of like you were a zealot about certain things. And that is not the way it is anymore. We I talked to so many, uh, particularly millennials and even teenagers, for whom being a vegan is an aspiration. It's really they think the right way to live. It's completely mainstream. 
um, even if they feel like they can't get there themselves. And if thinking back to just, you know, not that long ago, people have been avoiding meat for one reason or another for since humans have been alive, probably, <laughs> perhaps out of necessity or what have you. But, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, being a vegetarian was also a fringe uh, identity and meant that you were shopping out of bins and eating a lot of bulgur or mm-hmm. <laughs> all the things in those hippie cookbooks. All the crunchy things. Not the same anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even people think of this being as being a modern phenomenon, but in fact, the first kind of U.S. plant-based meat alternative goes back to 1896. And um, Mr. Kellogg in the Battle Battle Creek Sanitarium, I mean, and that's discounting all of the fact that tofu has an immensely long history. Seitan goes back to the 19th century, way before. And so, you know, it's not like this. we're living in this particularly unique moment in some respects, Mm -hmm. but in other respects, we definitely are. And so understanding what makes the plant-based eating of today unique is where we hope we're going to be able to take us and really draw that out into the implications for food manufacturers, retailers, restaurants, for how to talk to consumers about these new products Mm -hmm. and where to be thinking about product innovation in the future. Right. Um, So if that sounds as exciting to you as it does to us, um, you might want to check out the report on our website. It is available to buy even now. And um, you can contact us and reach out and we'll we'll set you up. Mm -hmm. And we plan to, so as Helen mentioned, um, it is available to sign up currently. Details on the website. Uh, The full report and data will be released at the end of the quarter. So that means end of June, coming up soon. And Helen and I need to uh, get to work. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So thank you and thanks for listening. And um, we're excited to get out the report to you as soon as possible. Indeed. We will see you next time. We'll hear from you next time. Bye.